morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll go ahead and put you right at the top of the list. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call, though. Boy, it is. Got every line wide open and brains are all fresh from a good night's sleep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Which I can't necessarily say is going to be the case anytime uh, in, the in the near future. future. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Go ahead and give us a call. And just in case you don't want to call in or don't have a question right now, something occurred to you later on in the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Easy way to remember that. It's Alcazan's Garage Company. Right. There's several databases you can search on the site for any particular automotive topic. There's the vehicle questions, which is right at 600 questions. Exactly 600 exactly. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I put the 600 one in there this morning. There you go. <laughs> and Just, it would work out. <laughs> Just type in the, the search bar there, the topic you're looking for. Right. Usually the least amount of words will get you the most amount of return. Well, that's right, because if you're looking for something on a wheel bearing and you type in wheel bearing and it doesn't fall in exactly that order, you may not get what you want. But if you just type in bearing, then it's going to go right to it and bring them up. And you can just scan through them because there's not going to be that many hits on it. It's not like Google where you can get a million yeah. hits. Yeah, be there all day looking through yeah, the stuff. Yeah, you could get maybe five or ten different hits where you can scan right down through it and find what you want pretty easily. Right. So, yeah, just one word gets the best results on that particular And the vehicle search. questions is kind of a short, to-the-point answer to a particular question. Right. It's going to be specific stuff. Like, for instance, what is an out-of-round tire? What are the symptoms of a bad U-joint? Stuff right. like that. And right. it's going to be a direct answer to a direct question. As opposed to the detailed topics, which is a much more involved article on a specific topic. For instance, I put one in there this morning on rear axle bearing failure. And that's where the axle bearings in a rear-wheel drive vehicle go bad and chew the axle shafts up, which is fairly common, common issue. Very expensive issue yes. as, as it's working out these days because axle shafts can be $500 each pretty easy, and there's two of them in there. And quite often, it'll eat both of them up. Right. So you end up buying bearings, the labor to do the job, plus buying two axle shafts. You're talking about a fairly significant chunk of cash. Yeah, for something that could possibly be avoided. It can be pretty easily avoided because, as the article will tell you, the leading cause of that is that the fluid level is slightly low. And it doesn't take a whole lot of low fluid level to really burn the axle bearings up. Reason being, the axle bearings are lubricated by slosh out of the center section. Exactly. And you've only got about a quarter to three-eighths of an inch of slosh that goes down those tubes. It's designed that way because they don't want to overload the axle seals, and that's more than adequate. The problem is, let's say you get a front pinion seal that's leaking slightly. It may leak a pint or maybe two pints of oil, which is not very much. Now, the kicker is, at that point, it's going to quit leaking because they're all levels below the level of the seal. Right. So the leak goes away. Well, okay, we're great. Not to worry about it, right? No more leak, right? Until it burns up both the axle shafts. <laughs> right. Because now the oil level's below the level that lubricates can, the bearings. Where it can slosh through the tubes. Mm -hmm. So it, there's pictures in there and pictures of ruined axles, diagrams showing how the oil level works. But that's one of those things. Remember back when the newer body style pickups started coming out, the Chevrolet pickups particularly, we were checking those and we were finding a pretty large number of them that were a half a quart low from the factory. Right. And I don't know if somebody thought, well, we could save a half a quart on everyone we're building or what. But you never know. We used to see an awful lot of those that were low right from the factory. We did. And we would top them off and possibly prevent quite a few problems. It might be one reason why they had so many axle problems could be. with those trucks. Very well could be. Any type of noise, odd noise from the rear end, is right. also cause for concern. That or any leak. You know, every time you get your oil changed, have them look at that rear differential. If there's any sign of a leak, you need to address that right then because it can be real inexpensive to fix a leak if you catch it right then. 
if you let it go and you start burning stuff up, it's going to get way expensive. The pinion seal is very easy to check because right. it's right there on the end of the drive shaft. Well, the wheel much. bearing seals are a little more difficult little because more. you have to take the wheels and the brakes mm -hmm. off. Right. But you can check them. Yeah, it's pretty easy because generally the backing plate will get wet and you can right. see that you've got an oil leak. That's just one of the detailed topics. One of them on replacing battery terminals. One on dull yellow headlights. That's a headlights good one. turn yellow. That's a great one. Tells you how to clean those up. A lot of folks don't realize they can clean those themselves and save themselves several hundred dollars on replacement. Oh, most definitely. Some of those light, some of those lenses are over $300, $400. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines. We've got Durwood on the line. Good morning, Durwood. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how are you this morning? Man, I'm doing great, sir. Look, my grandson has got a Dodge Ram pickup. Yes, that sir. I don't know the exact model, but it's probably not more than about three years old. Okay. But what happens is he can just be driving along and it'll go dead on him. Yes, sir. And he can crank it up and it'll go hit and just crank and then go right back. And if you leave it a while, maybe go back, it'll go on okay. And what I was wondering, is that something... That is peculiar to him, or has he got a problem that maybe is not not very common, or what? Darwood, I've heard that complaint a number of times on that pickup truck, and it's not one particular thing that we're finding wrong with. We're finding a number of things that cause that, and I don't know why it seems to affect that particular truck, but it's certainly not the first one I've heard with that exact problem. One of the things we found is the crankshaft position sensor can go bad, and it temporarily loses a signal, and when it loses a signal, it doesn't know when to fire the injectors and all that, so it dies. When you cycle the ignition, it all kind of resets. Another uh -huh. thing is a loose or broken wire in the harness. We've repaired quite a few of those. Of course, there's probably four dozen other things it could be, anything from a bad idle control servo not allowing it to idle to a bad PCM not commanding idle to on and on and on and on and on. Even a sticking EGR valve can cause that because it creates a big vacuum leak when you let your foot off the gas, it dies, and it resets. So it's one of those things you're going to have to get it in. There will probably be some data stored inside the PCM, even though you may not notice the check engine light on. It's probably storing some data, and that would be where we would start Something like that, depending on how often it occurs, can be pretty difficult to find just because you have to have it occur in the shop with instrumentation on it to verify the fix. Yeah. So if it only does it once a month, it'd be real difficult to find. If that's the case, what he may want to do is, it, as long as it continues to start right back up, it's just kind of an annoyance at this point, maybe drive it a bit until it gets a little more consistent, and it will. It'll get to where it drives maybe two or three times a week, and then you could probably find it a lot easier. Yeah, well, when it does, like I say, when it quits, it'll, it can crank it right back up, yeah. but it'll just die right again, and it'll sit there, and you might do that a dozen times. Yeah. You just you leave it all, walk off, come back after a while, it goes yeah. on okay. Well, see, what I would want to do is to have a fuel pressure gauge on it first. I would yeah. hook a fuel pressure gauge up, tape it to the outside of the windshield, go drive it until it doesn't, see what the fuel pressure's doing. Because if the fuel pressure's maintaining while it's occurring, we forget the whole fuel system. We just wiped out yeah. half the possibilities right with one simple test. If fuel pressure's dropping, then we know where to start looking. So that's the approach that you would have to take to finding that. And, okay. again, everything just depends on how often it occurs. Well, I appreciate it. Right. The big thing I want to find out is if it was something that was so consistent that you say, yeah, we see this, and this yeah. is basically this. I know? fixed it quite a few times, but it always seems to be something a little different. I, I can't get a handle on it where one thing causes it a lot, but we've fixed that problem more than once. Okay, well, thanks a lot. All right, there was, a good day. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Lewis. How are yes, you this morning? Doing great, sir. Good. Lewis, I have a 2000 Ford F-150. Yes, sir. 
and I have 344,000 miles on wow. it. Wow. Truck, truck runs great, man, okay. giving very good service. Mm-hmm. But start, it started last week. When I crank it up, it just idled up real high. After a few moments, it kind of settled down. But when I start moving, it uh, it revs up real high again, and it keeps do- and it does that until I get to the third gear, and then it settles down. Hmm. That's kind of peculiar, Mike. I don't, can't say I've really seen that exact symptom before. The first thing I would look at is to make sure the throttle body is nice and clean on it. Uh-huh. Because, you see, that truck has what they call EGR, exhaust gas recycle. Uh-huh. What that does is pumps exhaust gas into the intake manifold under certain conditions. And what happens is the backside of the throttle plate tends to carbon up because of the exhaust gas. Right. Now, if you just look in the throttle body, it's going to look nice and clean. But if you open that plate with the motor not running, look, you'll see a lot of black carbon all stuck to the back of that plate. Uh-huh. If that plate can't settle out exactly where it's supposed to when you crank the engine, it may not see what they call the home position. So it doesn't know exactly where to set the idle. So it's going to fluctuate up and down, up and down, up and down until it finally figures that out. And see, that's a new process every time you start the truck. Right. So it may be as simple as cleaning the throttle body. That would be the first place I would look. Now, okay. beyond that, what you'd have to do is have a scope on the wires going to the idle servo and see if the computer is commanding fast idle mm-hmm. or if it's just like a short of something in the circuit that's causing it. And once you know that, then you'd know better how to proceed. The computer's commanding fast idle. You'd have to look at all the factors that control idle and look at the inputs from those because it could be a bad sensor going into it, making it think it needs to idle faster. So okay. that's okay. kind of the approach you have to take with that. Start with the throttle body being clean. Yeah, I would right. start with that. If you're pretty handy, Mike, you might even be able to do that yourself. Just be a little careful with it. You don't want to go crazy because you can wipe out some of the anodizing on that throttle body and hurt something. But There's a special cleaner we use in the shop. It's a Mopar product. Right. Dodge makes a real nice right. throttle body cleaner that we like on, to use on all the vehicles. And if you're careful, it's not a real expensive thing to have done. I mean, if you bring it to us, it probably cost you about 50 bucks maximum. And I would start with that just because that's cheaper than anything else you can do and probably needs to do it anyway. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. I do appreciate it. All, all right, right Mike. Mike. Thank you, yeah. man. Bye-bye. All righty. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. Tim, Joe, and Mark, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. If you ever plan to move west, Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks, you know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. (sighs) Donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesham, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. 
and we've got Mark's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mark. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I've got a 2004 Dodge Caravan, and um, I was trying to get get ready to get inspected. I had an engine code come up, and I checked it with my uh, scan uh, gauge thing. It was showing um, upstream O2 sensor problem. Okay. Um, I ended up changing out the O2 sensor. The next one, and the code went away for a day or two, but mm-hmm. the new sensor, it came back again. Yeah, because yeah, that wasn't right. a problem. <laughs> right, yeah, right. And then uh, so they changed, thought, well, maybe they had sold me a defective one. So yep. they gave me another one. Yeah. All right. Now, see, that so, code does not say O2 sensor bad. It says no, it O2 sensor out of range. Yeah, it's talking about the, uh, the heater. Thing. Yep. It's, but it right. says it's out of range. It doesn't say it's bad. There's okay. a number of things can cause that. In fact, a, a large, large number of things other than the sensor. You just got an important lesson on diagnosis. You cannot take those codes literally, not ever. That could be the driver and the computer could be bad. The wire could be cut. It could be high resistance in the circuit. It could be the acknowledgement circuit not sending the feedback to the computer. On and on and on and on and on. It could even be a totally unrelated problem that's confusing the computer and it's not running that test. So it's going to fail it. So it's, you know, without knowing what you're doing, you just can't. I mean, it's just you gonna run out of money before you run out of guesses. Right. You and got to I'm, get that to someone who knows what to do and let them diagnose that problem for you. Yeah, because the original codes went away with the second sensor, but mm-hmm. a new code came up. Right. Right. You're chasing not. your tail. You're just creating, you're probably creating more problems. Particularly if you didn't go back to the Dodge dealer and buy the sensor, you may have just created a whole new problem. So many defective parts on the market that I mean, no use even talking about it. Probably. 60% of the stuff you buy aftermarket is not even going to meet their specs. If you still got the sensor that came out the of original it, sensor. put it back in the van. Bring it to somebody who knows what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, exactly. It's going to cost you a whole lot less, even oh, yeah. if you want to change the parts yourself. 85 to $90, they you can get it diagnosed. It, tell you what's and, wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. You keep messing around, you end up burning up a computer or who knows what. You're going to spend 1000 bucks for something that could have been fixed for 100 or two. All right. All <laughs> Alright, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we've got Joe in line. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Lewis. How are you all? Doing, Doing great, great ma'am. ma'am. Um, Lewis, I've always uh had the oil changed every three thousand miles in okay. any car that I've ever yes, owned. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. However, the dealer and mm-hmm. the manual mm-hmm. recommends every five thousand right. miles. Right. What what's your opinion? Uh the reason they do that is because they're in the business of selling new cars. The distance you can drive the car can't be set with some arbitrary number. It depends on the way you drive the car. What's your average trip, Joe? Do you drive long distances at a time, or you mostly just in town? It's mostly in town. Okay, well, if you go back and you read the fine print, what they'll do is they'll say, under normal conditions, 5,000 miles. Now, what's real misleading is what they call normal conditions, because there's also one that says, under severe conditions, every 3,000 miles. Now, nobody thinks they're under severe conditions, except that if your average trip is less than 10 miles, you're under severe conditions, which everybody is. If you're ever operating above 95 degrees, well, you know, six months out of the year, you're above 95 degrees. If you're driving and stop and go traffic, you're above. That's all considered severe conditions, and they got a whole new recommendation for that. So it's very, very misleading. I would never, ever do that unless I, if I was driving 50 miles one way to work every day of the week, then I'd maybe go 5,000 miles on oil change because that's ideal conditions. The oil is nice and hot. It's boiling out the moisture and everything's great. But when you're making short trips like you are, like most people are, you're not ever going to save enough money on oil changes to pay for the repair. You just pop out a rear main seal. going to get hard on you. Valve cover gas can start leaking. And we're talking five, 600 bucks every time you have a problem like that. You're just not ever going to save enough money on oil changes to pay for the repair. 
until I've been doing it right. You have. Okay. Exactly right. Why don't you go to my website, and there's an article. If you go to the detailed topics and do a search, the article is named The Sad Truth. And there's pictures in there, and there's a big explanation about those extended all-change intervals and a lot of information. But, yes, ma'am, you're doing exactly right. Keep on doing what you're doing. Okay. Thank you, Louis. All right, ma'am. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2001 Blazer, and what started my problem was the uh, – Barons in the rear end uh, needed replacement. I brought it to the dealer. They replaced the barons, okay. and I have over 103,000 miles, and they did not replace the seals. So consequently, when they put it back together, the seals started leaking on the uh, right rear wheel. Man, I can't believe and they would change barons, not change you gotta, the seals. you got to take the seal out to change to get to the bearing. Yeah. And Tell me mo- about most it. of the time, you destroy the seal. I assume, I assume that they did that, but they didn't. So I went back wow. later and... Race hell, and I they refunded so. me part of the uh, cost. Well, I would replacing. think so. Yeah, that's crazy, man. But here's a flying ointment. Mm-hmm. When the seal started leaking, my anti-lock brake light started coming on on the okay. dashboard. Uh-huh. Now, they replaced the seal, and they told me, they said the anti-lock mechanism under the hood, which cost $1,000, needed to be replaced. I'm not convinced that that unit's bad. I think maybe the seal... The uh, sensor was damaged. Quite possible. Yes, yeah, quite possible. It could have damaged it when it did the work. That information is right there. That I mean, information will be stored in the uh, and, ABS. Uh, that's pretty simple mod- to diagnose. Right. Uh, wait, John? here's what it's doing. It doesn't come on all the time. It only yeah, comes we on. Won't. It's right. only going to come on when it runs a test. It doesn't, it doesn't execute every test and every drive cycle. No. Here's the thing. When when the vehicle is cold, it never comes right, on. Right. It, it only does comes not, on. It does not execute every test on every drive cycle. Right. It only runs certain tests under certain conditions. So if it's cold, it may not be running a test that is failing to set the light on. Answer's the same. you got to go back, diagnose it, pull the code, see what codes are in there, and then diagnose that circuit. If it's got a hydraulic malfunction, it's going to have some kind of hydraulic or solenoid code. If it's got a wheel sensor problem, it's going to have yeah, a wheel, wheel sensor, sensor code. code. And it'll right. be stored in memory. The light does not have to be on. It'll be in memory. When that light comes on, it stores a memory. Right. Whether whether the light goes back out or right. not, it's still in there. It's in the memory as long as the battery does not get disconnected right. in the vehicle. Right, that information will be there. Okay, you gotta have be the, able to plug a computer in and tell you me. You gotta have yes. you gotta have the correct scan tool to get that information right. and out. You gotta know what you're doing. Right. To interpret what the information. What does it cost? The uh, approximate cost to replace a sensor in the right. I wheel. don't know, man. I, it just depends on what's wrong with it. It's not something I can quote a price on without knowing. But just take that to someone probably other than the dealer, get a second opinion on it, and then if it, the other shop finds that they did damage the sensor, then you might want to go back and say, hey, guys, look, this is what's wrong with it. In fact, there's an article on my site, just stuff like that, when things go wrong. Go in there and Google that or on my site, when things go wrong, and it'll tell you exactly the best way to handle that type of situation. Okay. All righty. Great. Thanks okay, John. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Norm online. Good morning, Norm. Hey, what's going on? Same old stuff, Good morning, man. man. Look, I've got a 2001 town car mm-hmm. that will crank but won't start. Okay. Uh, this is the third time that's happened. The first time we had a little party, and my father-in-law drove it over to my house. Mm-hmm. We had to drive him home because it wouldn't start. The next morning I got in the car, it started up, and I drove it back to his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, then his daughter used it, went driving around town, came home and parked it. Went to get in, and it wouldn't start. 
next day they got in it. Right. It started and they drove it to his house. Now it won't start again. Right. I mean, it'll it'll turn over, but won't right. start. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things, Norm. The reason that that's going to be so hard to find is by the time you get to a shop, it's going to probably start right up. It's going to start for the next two weeks. I can tell you a couple of things we've changed that had pretty good luck with that problem. One is the fuel injection relay. It's relatively inexpensive. It's very easy to change. May or may not fix the problem, but we have changed quite a few of those for that issue. Another one is the crankshaft position sensor and the harness on the crankshaft sensor. Sometimes you can get down there and wiggle that wire and it'll die. And if that's the case, then you're lucky. But if it doesn't, it's very hard to verify because, like you said, it's occurred, what, two, three times in two, three months? Right, three times. Yeah, so it's almost impossible to verify or repair on that, whether you're actually fixing it or not. But that's two things, both of which are fairly inexpensive and both of which occur fairly frequently on that car. So what I would probably do is replace the fuel injection relay. And if you don't want to even change it, you can take, like, the power window relay or something and switch it with the fuel injection relay. And if the no start goes away and the window starts intermittently not working, you know that's it. But, I mean, even a new relay is probably less than 20 bucks. And the second thing, if you get on that sensor, what we will do sometimes is try to do a wiggle test, shake the wire, see if we can reduplicate it. If not, we'll take a heat gun, blow a little heat on it, see if we can duplicate it. If not, we'll take something cold and blow it and see if we can duplicate it. If you can't, you almost got to find, catch it actually doing it to verify it. Now, of course, there's probably two dozen other things I can name. The security system can shut it down intermittently, but they should leave a code for that. So I would probably bring it in to someone who has a proper tool and proper knowledge and have them scan and see if there's any data in the memory that would give you some guidance. See, like security system code will not turn on a checking engine light because it thinks it's normal. It just thinks the car is being stolen, so it shuts it down. But it will leave some stuff in memory that you can retrieve with a forward scan tool. So we can go in with our forward tool and, and bring that up if that's the case. So that's kind of sort of the path I would try to follow on that. If, if you're fairly handy, try swapping those relays first and just see. But if not, you're just going to need to get someone. If they just can't find anything, about the only thing you can do is wait till it gets a little more consistent. With intermittent problems like that, it's just you test and test and test. It's just going to say it's good. All right, my brother. All righty. Thank you. Thanks, All sir. Right. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, right, we'd love to have you. And we got David on line. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thank yes, you sir. for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. About a 2002 Toyota 4Runner Limited. Uh-huh. Uh, 230,000 miles wow. on it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, even being a Toyota, would you be kind of leery of even getting into something like that, even if the guy had all of the records where he had the car serviced on uh, a regular basis? I probably wouldn't as long as the price was right on it, Dave. It's not going to have the value of a car with 60,000 miles, obviously, but right. I would. looking at about four grand for it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's good or bad. You'd have to go to, like, Edmunds.com or something and see. You right. want to be down below trade-in value on it because of the mileage, but I wouldn't be scared of that vehicle because if it's an O2 with that kind of miles, that means he's run he's run the devil out of it. He's drove it a lot, and that's good. If he's got service records on it, I mean, I've seen those vehicles go three, 400,000 miles, so you may be halfway through the life of the vehicle. You're getting a good deal on it. You're not making much risk. I mean, if you can buy something like that for 4,000 bucks, I mean, what can you buy for four grand nowadays? Right. Not a whole lot. I mean, if you drive it a year or two, and get, I mean, you got your money's worth, you got to throw it away. That's right, man. Hey, <laughs> so, thank I mean, you I, very much. I, do you guys inspect cars? Yes, yeah, so we do a pre-purchase inspection. I would recommend that just to make sure you don't have any big problems looming. We can generally pick up on any kind of big issues. And as long as there's no major issues looming, man, I wouldn't be scared of it. Good. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Welcome back to Money Saving Tips with Lucy. Now today, we've learned how to save by reusing dental floss. Just rinse it good. We learned how to separate two-ply toilet paper to get twice the use. And how to keep your yard mowed and get milk to boot by purchasing a goat like old Wilhelmina here. <laughs> Looks like we have a new caller with a money-saving tip. Lay it on, Lucy. Lucy, how about a little agconomics for you from Agco Automotive? Keep your old car, spend a little money on preventative maintenance, and you'll have extra money in your pocket instead of paying that big monthly note. That's some good advice, since it looks like I'm not going to keep Wilhelmina here. She's eating my grass, plants, barbecue pit cover, chair cushions. Willie, get away from those wires! For more agconomics, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Lewis Alpazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Uh, try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, the gentleman who we called earlier with the oxygen sensor problem. Right. That's just so, 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 so common. And I don't think it's a week that goes by we don't address that. That's right. But we're just not getting the message out there because nobody is listening. But if you got an oxygen sensor heater code, it doesn't mean the sensor's bad. Exactly. Because could... if the electronic temperature sensor is bad, it doesn't know the engine's cold, it's not going to fire off the heater. Right. Ambient temperature sensor's bad, it doesn't know the engine's cold, it's not going to well, fire off the heater. We've taken, we've actually proved that point. We've taken right. two vehicles. We took a Chevrolet truck right. and a Toyota Tundra. Right. We created the same problem, problem in each vehicle mm -hmm. and got two different codes. Right, and neither one was what was wrong. And neither, yeah, exactly. One set an oxygen sensor code, the other set an airflow, mass airflow code. code. So you start... Throwing sensors right. at it and this, that, and the other. And then you create other problems because you put a substandard part. And folks just don't realize how bad the replacement parts are. We see it all day long. All day, every, every day. day. Even brand new OEM parts has a really high failure rate these days. They do. We've and the aftermarket stuff, in my opinion, is just not even worth putting on there because you're going to create more problems. You may end up wiping out your computer with a defective sensor. Now you got the original problem plus, plus a bad the one sensor you created. plus bad computer. Right. But the point is, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. These oh, exactly. cars nowadays are just way, way, way above the heads of anybody unless you work on this every single well, day and really know your stuff. You you wouldn't think of going in your house and turning your TV around and taking the back off right. of it and start changing parts in right. it. Right, and that's a $400 TV. Yeah. But they'll and crack into a $20,000 vehicle. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I understand. I I completely understand where people are coming right, from. Right, they're trying to they save money. They want to save some money. That's they right. want to fix they're their own car. Just not going about it the right way. Exactly, exactly. Get a professional diagnosis. Right, and, and you hit the key on the head there. Professional diagnosis. I think one reason why people are so averse to going and get paying somebody to tell them what's wrong is at some point in time they went somewhere, somebody charged a bunch of money and told them the wrong thing. Exactly. They got an improper diagnosis, and that comes down to finding the right shop the first time. Because that's very, very, very important. Earlier this week, I had someone call me and they said they had a car and they'd brought it somewhere and they'd changed this, changed this. The shop had messed it all up and they wanted to know if we would be willing to work on it. I right. said, well, I really don't get involved in those kinds of things. Because number one, we're going to be a big argument between us and the other shop. And I just don't need that. I just ain't got time for it. Number two, whoever screwed it up needs to fix it. They need to fix their own problem. So you need exactly. to bring it back, tell the guy, he hold his feet to the fire, make him fix it. That's another thing to think about is when you pick the wrong shop, 
you may not have another option. I know like on automatic transmissions, we see it all the time. If another shop has messed with that transmission, we're not messing with it. Just right. because we don't know what they've done. They could have done all sorts of things that really can't be fixed. So and even, you want to pick very, very wisely when you choose a shop. Now, you can go to our website right down on the front page, and there's an article, Finding a Great Shop. I would advise everybody to read that article thoroughly because it is unlike any article you can find on the topic anywhere mm -hmm. on the web. And I know because I scanned them. It'll help you find the right shop for you. It may be our shop. It may right. be another shop. That's right. But we will help you find a shop you can deal with and you can feel comfortable in their diagnosis that's, and their that's work. That's correct. And another article on there is when things go wrong, because inevitably things do go wrong. When they do, there's a procedure that if you follow it, you're way more likely to get good results. And the answer is very rarely going to be to walk in there screaming and hollering. There's just better ways to handle things. But right. Those are two articles that I would really advise everybody, even people who are not having any kind of problem, go in and read that so when you do have a problem, you'll be ready. That's right. You'll be ready to make the right decision because – Wrong decisions are very expensive these days. I had a friend of mine I went to high school with, was in the shop the other day, came in, we had lunch. And he says, you know, boy, my boy went out and he wrecked his car and it cost $10,000. How could he be so that? Boy, he was just screaming, hollering. I said, he's not a bit more irresponsible than you and I were. Exactly. We wreck cars, just cars he's, cost $50. Yeah, he's got a more expensive vehicle. It's just the cost of messing up is way higher today than it ever was before. Sure. It's not the kids are any worse or any, anything like that. It's just the cost of messing up is way high. When you're dealing with incredibly complex and expensive machines like an automobile, the cost of messing up is way, way high. You just can't afford it. It's way better off to be sure you pick the right guy, let him fix that car right the first time, or at least tell you what's wrong with it. And if you want to fix it yourself, that's great. Sure. Sure. But, I, I can understand that. Saving money. Money's kind of hard to come by these well, days. absolutely, and, and I'm all for saving money, and that's pitch. the point I'm trying to make is right. we're going to save you a whole lot of money by telling you what's wrong with this thing instead of going change $8,000 worth of parts. Yeah, $8,900 of parts that you don't need. Right, less than, usually less than $100. Right. We can diagnose and tell you what's oh, wrong absolutely, with it. fellas in the other day. And, again, I've changed. Yeah, I said, why don't you change the windshield wiper blades? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have fixed it. Well, neither did all the stuff you did. At least you could see in the rain. <laughs> you know, now, now you still ain't fixed. You spent a bunch of money. You still can't see in the rain. That's so, right. <laughs> yeah, if you just go do something stupid, well, do something cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Pick something. You know, get one of those little, uh, those little uh, pine pipes, trees yeah. you hang on your rearview mirror. At least the car smell good. You're not going to fix it. But <laughs> let's go back to our phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Hey, man. Got a uh, Chevrolet truck, 5.7 engine in okay. 98. Yes, model. sir. Okay, uh, engine code, uh, engine light comes on, and the codes read, read by a local uh, port shop, mm -hmm. uh, a 0171 and a 0174. Too lean? Yeah, too lean. One and two, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, that could be a number of things, Paul. One of the most common would be a vacuum leak somewhere mm -hmm. in the engine where it's drawing unmetered air. That engine doesn't actually use an airflow meter. It uses a MAP sensor which measures the pressure in the intake manifold, and that's how it determines how to set everything. Okay. So one possibility would be a big vacuum leak somewhere, possibly the intake manifold gasket's leaking. Another could be a bad map sensor, giving it improper data. Another one could be the, see, on 98, is that going to be a throttle body or the spider 98, assembly? 98 is the uh, Vortec motor. Yeah, it's going to have that so spider. Have spider assembly in it. Spider, it's it's right. got a big spider up under the intake manifold that's kind of bad about going out. It's got like eight little spiders that go out to the different ports yes. and they're made out of plastic <clears throat> and over the years they get hard and they break and when they break it starts spraying gas inside the manifold 
So one or two ports may start leaning out just because it's not getting gas the, in those ports. The pressure uh-huh. regulator in that assembly is also underneath that plastic intake, mm-hmm. and they're bad about going out too. So and it'll, it'll what, throw a code like what that. What I would recommend, Paul, is to bring that to someone who can verify that diagnosis for you, and then if you want to fix it yourself, that's fine, but get it professionally diagnosed so okay. you know what you're going after. Now, if it is that spider assembly, there's no reason in the world to try to repair that thing because GM will sell you an upgrade kit where you can actually convert that to port injection. Oh, okay. And it's kind of expensive, but it's, it's less expensive than fixing the spider assembly, and it's much, much better. It has yeah, eight, it's a much nicer, injectors. much nicer assembly. And you take that spider completely out, throw it away. Mm-hmm. This has a little computer inside the intake and has eight little injectors that go out. It plugs right in. Computer recognizes it. You don't even know it's there, except that it runs better and idles better and gets better gas mileage. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you mentioned you said that GM has a substitute. Yes. What kind of price range are we talking about? Uh, they're expensive. I want to say the injector assembly is probably five to $600. Okay. And plus, of course, the labor to pull the intake and all that. But right. you want to verify that that is a problem before you go in there. On a vacuum leak like that, sometimes it's difficult for a do-it-yourselfer to find. We've got a smoke machine, mm-hmm. which actually uses nitrogen gas. And what we can do is block off all the vacuum ports, pour smoke to the engine, and where the smoke comes out, we know we got a vacuum leak. So... In a half hour, 45 minutes, I can find that leak that would take you months and, and, and probably still not find it, you know? Right, right. So that's the kind of things I would be looking for. It's even possible you could have something like a leaking intake that has allowed some coolant to get on the oxygen sensors, and the oxygen sensors may be gummed up. So there's just lots and lots of things that can set a lean code other than the engine just being lean. Right. But that's the most common stuff we see. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it very okay, much. Okay, Paul. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. We're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Hey, champ, your dad and I wanted to talk to you about camp this year. You mean Camp Adventure Mountain, where I've gone every year since I was eight and get to see all my friends? Yes, but there's been a change of plans. Times are tight, and this year you're going to Catfish Camp in Bear Gut Bayou, Mississippi. Catfish Camp? You learn to raise, kill, and clean your own catfish. And a portion of what you produce goes back into your college fund. Wow, sounds exciting, huh, buddy? Here's a little Anconomics for you from Anco Automotive. There are better ways to save money, like making sure your car gets taken into Anco for regular preventative maintenance so you can avoid those huge repair bills. That way, nobody has to go to catfish camp. Says here in the brochure, you just grab the catfish, whack it in the head, and it's ready to be skinned. That sounds easy enough. Mom, I don't feel so good. For more Agconomics, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, here with us. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And, of course, today is a real good day to get your questions in because next week will be a pre-recorded show. That's right. Be down at the Mardi Gras. (laughs) (laughs) Got a pre-recorded show. I put that together last week. It's a pretty good show. I think it'll be real good information, and I think folks will really like it. Right. But, but you will not be able to call in. You can, of course, send me an email. That's right. You can visit the website and right. send us an email, and we'll get it answered for you and get your answer back to you. That's right. The so, website is www.agcoauto.com. That's right. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. 
out to Zan's Garage Company. That's right. Just remember that, and that'll get you right straight to us. And of course, tons and tons of other things you can do. And there's some calculators on that site where you can actually calculate the amount of money you'll save between two cars with different fuel mileages. Right. You can punch that in. You can put in different fuel types. For instance, one runs on premium fuel and one runs on regular fuel. You can punch that in. You can even compare a diesel to a gas engine with right. different mileages. Should and you should you be looking to buy another one? You could well, type it in there and right. see what kind of mileage difference you can that's come up with. One of the calculators in there is another one that will compare a used car to a new car purchase and takes several factors into consideration. You might want to look on that and see. It might save you some whole bunch of money and possibly save you making a big mistake. There you go. Right, let's go back to our phone lines. We got Rick online. Good morning, Rick. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. I, I got a question on a 92 Chevrolet Silverado. Okay. I'm having problems with a uh, shark. All right. I know sharks can go everywhere, but uh, it started where I'm rolling down the road, and all of a sudden my gauge just goes crazy. Now, that's a 92 or, or 2002? No, 92. 92, okay. Yeah, I'll keep it going. It all of a sudden it starts shutting down. It won't run. I'll stop at the headlights or, you know, yes, sir. Uh, or, or dim. But if I put it in reverse, all of a sudden, all my gauges comes back to normal. Yeah. Uh, it runs right, and, you know. You got a bad ground somewhere, Rick. And what it's doing is yeah. it's grounding back through the backup lights, and it's restoring the ground mm-hmm. temporarily. But that's something in the ground circuit. I mean, I would start out at the battery, and if you got a set of them clamp-on battery cable ends, that's the very first thing i get off of there. All right. Also, check and make sure the little battery grounds, your little small wire hooks to the big wire, make sure all that's on there and intact. And there's no telling where you're going to find it. It would pretty much take a pro to really trace that down. And the way you could help him and save yourself a lot of money is to write out a little list of everything that happens in the order it happens and exactly what you do. And he can go to a wiring diagram, start comparing everything on those circuits, and probably go to that pretty quick. But check all those out and go to my website. There's an article on there on battery cables. Read that article, and it'll give you a lot of insight. Okay, and that's, but that's going to be some kind of a ground problem. And what's happening when you put it in reverse, something in that backup light circuit is reestablishing the ground. So okay. that's why it starts where it just grounds back through that circuit. And as long as it can oh, find a ground somewhere, other than that, it's got what they call a transient ground. It's, it's looking to return that energy to the battery and it can't do it. So okay. it starts backing up through the gauges and all that, trying to find a path to ground. And that's when all that stuff starts freaking out. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yes, sir. Thank sure you, man. Appreciate it, Lewis. All right, Rick. Thank you, man. Right. Bye-bye. Yes, Four nine 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 five two six is number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, you got a few more minutes. You know that that's one thing that most people aren't real. I'm not going to say capable of doing, yeah, but really they, at it. Communication when you bring your vehicle in mm-hmm. is the biggest thing to getting it fixed correctly. That's right. If you can give the technician working on your car the most information about when this problem happens, what it's doing, right. He can go right to it and save you a lot of money. A lot quicker. It's going to cost quicker. you a lot less money, because he's going and also he's going to fix it right the first time. That's right, because he knows what he's looking for. That's right. In fact, there is an article on the website about that, getting good service or getting better automotive service, and it goes into that in quite a bit of detail. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly right. If you don't communicate your wishes, the tech is not going to go through and check every possible thing that can be wrong with the car. Oh, that could take cost, hours. It could take hours and hours and cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But I know at the shop, a lot of times, someone will bring a car in, they'll say, well, I want a front-end alignment. You say, well, what's wrong? What's pulling to the right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you take the car, and you check it, and you line it, and da-da-da-da. And they'll say, well, is it still got that noise in the back? What noise in the back? Yeah. Right. <laughs> they didn't say anything about it. Well, yeah, you heard a noise in the back. They wasn't complaining about it, so you didn't, you're didn't. you not going to go just routinely start tracing those things down. Exactly. So you got to communicate your wishes to the shop. It's, you know, they're not mind readers, and they're not going to go – for instance, that noise in the back was something you knew about and you weren't concerned about it, and they spent an hour and a half tracing it down and handed you a bill for $120. Well, 
You'd be, be real, real, upset. real aggravated. That's you, right. I didn't tell you to do that. Well, That's right. same exact thing. You, you got to communicate yeah. your wishes. It's, it's just like that Thunderbird we had come in the other mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. It had a noise in the front. Right. He knew about the noise in the back. The noise in the back, he was not concerned not with. Not concerned with it. Right. Because so, he knows what it is and he doesn't bother him. But right. he was concerned He wanted the one, one in the front. In the front. So he did a good job of communicating right. that. And as it worked out, it worked out real well. Let's go out of line with Jay. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. Yes, good sir. morning. I'm having a little problem with the 95 Oldsmobile. All right, sir. The cruise control. Okay. Uh, sometimes it comes on, uh, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. A lot of times on that thing, Jay, the module itself is what goes bad, and those are pretty expensive. <clears throat> now, I think they offer those rebuilt now. They're kind of hard to find. Not a lot of people stock them, but I think they do offer that module in a rebuilt unit. Mm-hmm. You may have to go online and find it, but. You can actually diagnose that thing. It's got codes and all in it that it stores. We have seen a few of the switches going out, calls out intermittently. I've seen loose wires. I've seen a lot of things. But the one thing we changed more than anything else on that particular model was that cruise module. Cruise module. Yeah, okay. I mean, under the hood. But uh, I wouldn't go change it without having it checked first to make sure because there's a few other things it could be. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, four nine 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 five two six the number, and we got Bobby on the line. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. Good. Um, I have a ninety five Toyota Camry yes, with sir. a two point two liter um, four cylinder yes, engine. Mm-hmm. Having problem with the ignition. I've changed the coil, and I've used my own meter, and I've tested a lot of the electrical part. Yeah, what problem are you having, Bobby? What's it doing? It's not firing up. Okay, you got no fire at all. Not, none at all. Okay. Do you have any fire at the distributor, or you just at the plugs, or have you checked both? Um, well, the plugs are not getting it, okay. but I am getting electricity to the um, distributor. Yeah. They had some failures in those distributors. We've changed quite a few of, quite them. A few of them out where the distributor itself, something will malfunction down inside of it. And I don't think there's any serviceable parts in there. I think you have to replace the distributor, but I believe it's available remanufactured from Toyota. Yeah. If the pickup coil is reading low, I mean, is that going to be enough to... It's not? one possibility. We've also seen where the bearings will go bad in the shaft and oil will come up that shaft uh-huh. and it'll wipe them out. So what you'd have to do if you want to diagnose it is to verify all the inputs to it. Okay. If you got all your inputs present and you got no output, then you know it's inside the distributor. Now, from there, you're almost going to have to have a lab scope to do any serious testing on it. That's what somebody else told me. Yeah, (laughs) which most people don't have. Frankly, you could probably, if you're sure it is inside the distributor, you could probably buy a rebuilt distributor with all new components in it, cheaper than you could buy any kind of lab scope, you know, or or anything like that. (laughs) And if the module is bad or the pickup is bad, chances are it's got other problems in it anyway because you probably got a a bunch of miles on the car, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, 200, a little over 200. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know that you'd want to go in and put a pickup call in it, which probably costs you better than half the price of the whole distributor. Yeah, And you got got 200,000 miles of rest, and it's got to come out anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I would just check all the inputs. If all the inputs are there and you got no output, then that's pretty good. Yes, that's what it's going to be. Okay. Well, all thank right. you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we've got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Hey, how's it going today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. Um, I got a 97 Ford uh, F-150 okay. and the odometer and tripometer both stopped working. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And Spe- does the, the speedometer still works? Right. But I'm worked, all the gauges work, pack everything. Yeah, that's fairly common on those, Tim. What happens is some little bitty tiny plastic gears in that thing that yeah. break. Okay. And you can't buy those little gears. There are folks on the Internet that repair speedometers. 
And uh-huh. if you can afford to be without a speedometer for a few days, you could pull it out and send it off to them. I don't think they charge an arm and a leg. I want to say it's $100 or less to, re- to repair those. Okay. How easy is it to get it all out? Real easy. Less than an hour. Oh, to pull the dash and everything? You got to pull the dash. The instrument cluster comes right out the front. It's got some trim panels. You take those off, and just that instrument cluster part will come out. Of course, you won't be able to drive it without an instrument cluster, but it's real easy. If you don't want to do it yourself, I mean, we do that kind of work, and it's probably less than an hour to pull it out and put it back in. Okay, and I have to send the whole the whole. Uh, I think so. Cluster. You'd have to contact them. Maybe you could take just a little speedometer head out and send that in. I'm not sure. But Ford has obsoleted those parts. You can't get them from Ford anymore, so you got to go rebuild. Yeah, yeah we actually repair some of the electronic dashes in-house, like on the Chevrolets. Right. where they're having so much trouble with them. We've come up where we can actually repair those in-house. But the old analog dashes like that, it's just trying to find the parts for them. There are guys who specialize in just that, and they got a source of parts, and they can get those little gears and stuff. But they usually do a real good job with it. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Okay, Tim. Thank you, guys. Thank you, All man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, a number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we've got Seth on the line. Good morning, Seth. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. I, I have a question. I have a 2000 Grand Caravan mm-hmm. uh, Dodge. Yes, sir. And the, uh, I think it's the front blower motor on mm-hmm. the air conditioning heater. Yes, sir. Is out. It uh, it blows heat and air in the back just fine. Yes, sir. It's two separate motors. That's fairly common on that one, Seth. A lot of times the blower motor itself will fail, and sometimes the blower control module will fail. And either one will give you the exact same symptoms. So what you have to do is go to the blower motor and you back probe those two leads on the motor with a voltmeter, and if you've got voltage at the motor and it doesn't run, then obviously the motor's bad. Okay. If, if you don't have voltage, you just back up, and it could be the blower control module. Now, when the module goes out, most of the time it's because the blower motor is dragging and it's drawing too much amperage, and that's what burned the module out. So if you just go in and put a module on, a lot of times you'll end up redoing the job in six months. So it's normally going to be one of those two problems, though. Okay, and where is the blower motor located? The right-hand side on the firewall. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 the number. I think we got time for maybe one more quick call. Good morning, Danny. What can I do for you? Uh, good morning. Uh, look, I have a 2006 Dodge Caravan, uh-huh. and uh, I, we have a issue with the transmission where yep. when it gets cold, mm-hmm. that, that thing will just scream, and it's got uh, it's got fluid in it. Uh, you check the levels. Yeah, it's making it's a noise, Danny. Yeah. A whining noise. Yeah. That's not going to be good, Danny. And if they've had a lot of failure in those transmissions, generally they will make 100 to 120,000 miles, and you can almost expect a transmission on those. Okay. Generally that noise, something, a snap ring is broke or a bushing's come apart inside and something's rubbing metal to metal. Now, the longer you put off fixing it, the more it's going to cost to fix because right. it's chewing stuff up inside the transmission. What you might want to do if you're fairly handy yourself and you just want to verify it is you could drop the pan, take the filter off, and cut the filter open and look inside, and you're probably going to find a little piece of snap ring or some metal in there. A little black clutch material is normal, but if you see right. any metal, then it's a big problem. You might want to get that to someone you know and trust, have them check it out, but chances are that's, that's not going to be good. That's going to probably be a transmission. And the longer you wait, like I said, the more expensive it's going to get, plus it's going to end up leaving you stranded. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. I tell you what, we have squandered another perfectly good hour. Hey, it was a lot of good calls. <laughs> we did, man. We had a ton a of calls. Of great calls. I like a good busy show like that. Oh, sure. You get a lot of good information out. It's awful hard to sit here and think of what 
people might need to know. Right. But when folks are calling in, not only do you get their call out and that information, but it spurs other thoughts. Exactly. That helps you to to keep get, going. Yeah, get more useful information out. And of course, that's the point of the whole show is to get useful information out to the hands of people that can can benefit from put it, it to work to save themselves money. That's right. Because in the end, it's all about saving money. It's sort of like we talked about a little earlier with the diagnosis. There's only one reason to pay for a professional diagnosis, and that's because it's going to save you a lot of money. Exactly. It's not going to cost you more. It's going to save, save you money. You. So that's the whole reason behind it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend and go Saints.